Hello, church. Good to see everyone today. So glad you are here. Jesus is Lord, isn't he? Jesus is Lord. It makes everything put in perspective, everything just kind of is put in place when you uh, acknowledge Jesus is Lord. It's a beautiful thing. Hey, before we jump into this series, uh, Hebrews, and we're looking at chapter two today, and let me just say welcome to those of you who are online. Thank you so much for being a part of this service. My prayer is you meet God right where you're at, and that, that's our prayer. Would you just, uh, guys, put your hands together to say welcome to those who are online. Thank you for being here. Um, thank you all for being here uh, as well at church. I, I, I believe in the ecclesiology of the church, the church coming together and worshiping and hearing God's word, and God is still in the business of changing lives. I have no doubt that God has brought you to this church, and I'm humbled and grateful for that. Um, last week, I talked about a, a new prayer campaign called Next 12, and what we're asking everyone to do is pray for the months. You want to pray all the time, not just these months, but especially uh, these next 12 months from July to June of next year. There's a lot of things that are going to happen in this time frame, and we are leaning on God, trusting God, and we're renewing our lease, we're closing our, our, our uh, sale of our property, we're looking for a new building, and lots of things are happening, good things, really exciting things. We're adding some staff, it's just all good. But um, we need God to move, as always. So would you just pray during those, those days? Also, I wanna encourage you to continue to give. You know, churches, it's not a big secret. Churches need resources to, to not only survive, but to grow and make an impact in community. So I want to encourage you, um, don't send your, your offering and tithe to Disney World or wherever. Uh, we would encourage you to honor God first, and that God will take care of everything else. He's a God who provides. So please continue to give during the summer months. So last night, I was, uh, I was at home, and um, um, I got this, uh, this message. Someone texted me and said, Pastor Ruben, did you see this? And they showed me this video of Justin Bieber. Hey everyone, um, Justin here. Uh, I wanted to update you guys on what's been going on. Um, obviously, as you can probably see from my face, um, I have... Uh, this syndrome called uh, um, Ramsey Hunt syndrome. And it is from this virus that um, attacks the nerve in my ear and my facial nerves and has caused my face to have paralysis. As you can see, this eye is not blinking. I can't smile on this side of my face. This nostril will not move. So there's full paralysis in this side of my face. Um, I love you guys. Thanks for being patient with me. And uh, I'm gonna get better. And I'm doing all these facial exercises to get my face back to normal. And um, it will go back to normal. It's just time. And we don't know how much time that's going to be. But it's going to be...
it's going to be okay. And I have hope and um, I trust God and um, I trust that this is all going to, it's all for a reason. And um, I'm not sure what that is right now, but in the meantime, I'm going to rest and I, I love you guys. Peace. All right. So, yeah, pray for Justin Bieber. I, I never thought I'd be quoting Justin Bieber in church service. I'm just telling you right now. I want you to know I'm not a uh, normally a, what are they called, a believer? Is that right? A believer? Um, I know some of you are hardcore believers, Ezra. I know you love Justin Bieber, and it's okay. And uh, But uh, uh, as I saw this, part of me was just excited. I'm just going to be honest with you. I was excited, not that he, he got this, you know, Ramsey Hunt disease, but that I'm not alone. And I'm, I'm listening to him talk, and I'm like, I know what exactly what that feels like. I know exactly what he's going through. And, you know, there's this big unknown with how long does it take to heal and all that stuff. But I, I, I think sometimes when we see, whether it's a celebrity or, or it could be a neighbor or a coworker, whatever it is, we see people go through stuff, and we're like, you know, you too. I mean, I mean, I, I'm not alone. I, I understand a little bit more. I, I, I this, this think we're, we're humans, and as humans, we have we have certain uh, common experiences. You know, COVID obviously is a, it brought a lot of us together in, in many ways. The entire world, a fear of being ill, and then ultimately death, and all those things. But when we um, when we we look at humanity, uh, we we could identify what it's like to be abused or. Or, or to lose her temper, or to have a regret, or a desire to be loved, or or hurt, or whatever it is. You know this famous trial that was going on just a few weeks ago, Depp versus Heard. Uh, how many of you were just watching that and binging on that over and over? Nobody wants to admit it in church. That's okay. Um, but I think part of it was we have this um, we have this uh, I, I, this this uh, connection with what people are going through, and we can identify with it, and we understand it. We know what it's like to be human. I want to share something with you that potentially could change your perspective of God, your perspective of life, and here it is. You ready for it? You ready? Here it is. Here it comes. Jesus was human too. Jesus was human too. Um. And I want to say, in a literal way, he was human. I mean, have you ever considered Jesus had, like, bad body odor? I mean, have you ever considered that thought? Have you ever considered the thought that he probably sweat, that he had bad days? Do you think he had calluses on his hands from swinging that hammer? Or do you think he ever stubbed his toe or hit his finger with that hammer? Or he ate, he drank, he sweated, he suffered just like you and me. But more than that, the fact that Jesus was human gives us this insight into the love of God, into the love of God. Um, When you face problems in in life, Jesus knows what it feels like to be hurt. Jesus knows what it feels like to be betrayed. Jesus knows what it feels like to be wronged. Jesus knows what it feels like to be ignored. Jesus knows what it feels like to have a bad day. He knows what it feels like to suffer. Jesus knows what it feels like to be depressed. I mean, consider this. Jesus was human, just like you and I. Um, We're looking at Hebrews chapter 2 today, and um, it's really fascinating because in Hebrews chapter 1, 
you read about the supremacy of Jesus. I mean, chapter one is all about Jesus and he's, he's the son of God and he's greater than all the angels and he now sits at the right hand side of the father. And so you hear this message of the superiority or the supremacy of Jesus. But in chapter two, in chapter two, you see the humility of Jesus all the way to the point where he becomes human. We go from the supremacy of Christ to the humility, to humanity of Christ. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 2, guys, and let's stand up together as we look at chapter 2 in honor of God's word. I think that's a good practice to do. If you're watching online, you can stand up right where you're at, unless you're driving. Don't do that. Um, chapter 2, verse 1. So we must listen very, very, what church? Very carefully to the truth we've heard. Or, or what's the warning? Or we, we may drift away from it. This is an incredible weighted warning. For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm. And every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him Speak. So these first verses is talking about this uh, great warning. In the Old Testament, there was a great consequence for not obeying God's law. And now in the New Testament, in Christ Jesus, the consequence is even greater because of the great expense that God went through to send his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. Verse 4, verse 4 says this, And God confirmed the message. Did I read verse 3? Oh, no. Did I read verse 3? Did I read? Okay, thank you. Some of you are following along. Adam, did I read verse 3? Yeah, not sure. There you go. We should read verse 3 again then, Adam. Here it is. No, verse 4. And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. And furthermore, it is not angels who will control the future world we're talking about. For in one place, the scripture says what, what are mere mortals say mere mortals with me that's you and i that you should think about them or a son of man that you should care for him yet for a little while you made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor you gave them authority over all things now when it says all things it means nothing is left out but we have not yet seen all things put under their authority what we do see is who, church? Jesus, who for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, he should make Jesus through his suffering a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among 
your assembled people. He also said, I will put my trust in him. That is, I and the children God has given me. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know, we also know that the Son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able, say he is able with me, church, easy, to help us when we are being tested. Well, Lord, thank you for your word. Um, open our hearts, our minds, and um, by your grace, God, use me. May your Holy Spirit work in me and through me, and may I not be distracted by anything or any physical limitation. I pray that uh, my desire, Holy Spirit, is you flow through me. As always, Lord, you know that's my desire. And I'm here right now because you called me into this position, and I'm just trying to be faithful, Lord. I, I want to thank you for spending time with me this week, and thank you for the insights you give me. But now, Lord, I, I want to be a faithful messenger, so may I say things that you want me to say, only that. You know exactly what needs to be said, and that's what I want to do. So thank you, God. Open our hearts. Open our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you so much, church. You know, this passage is phenomenal. Um, there's this humanity thing that's popping up over and over, but, but it starts off with the logic of God the logic of God, and God's logic doesn't always make sense, especially to us, especially, I mean, I didn't understand all this stuff when this happened to me, but sometimes things happen that just don't make any sense, and, and you see God, and, and the, the writer of Hebrews is questioning the logic of God, and why would this great God, this divine God, this all-knowing and all-powerful God, and, and why would he send his son into earth to become a sacrifice for our sins. It just doesn't make any sense. And verse 6 says, What are mere mortals that you should think about them, or, or a son of man that you should care for him? I did a little study on this idea of mere mortals, and the literal, the literal language means this. This is the question. How small or insignificant are humans that God would even think about them? That's the question. I think this is a really good question because to, for you to consider this, you have to recognize God is this great God. I mean, he, he's a great God and, and he's unfathomable and, and, and he sees everything and he's always existed and there's nothing that he doesn't know and with a word he can bring things into existence. He is God. And then the question is, how in the world, why in the world, how in the world can, would, would he even think about Insignificant humans. Insignificant humans. 
Every once in a while in my house, I get a Miller moth. Anybody get Miller moths in your house? You know, and they, at night they fly around and you're always afraid that they're going to land on your face while you're sleeping and just kind of do the alien thing or something and they're going to hatch eggs and all kinds of anyway. But uh, anyway, so at night, sometimes um, one of my kids will say, get this thing out or whatever. So I have to go in there. And, and uh, every time I, I'm facing a Miller moth, I think about this verse right here. Because Miller moths, if you think about it, you might think they're kind of worthless, aren't they? They're dust with wings, right? That's that's what they are. They're dust with wings. And I think think this is a little bit of a picture of God. Why in the world would he consider us? Why would he think about us? Why? I mean, he's so great and all-knowing. It's like there's God and there's angels and then there's humans. Why in the world would he even consider? think about us. And that's the principle. That's the, that's the message here in Hebrews, this idea that God thinks about you. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them God thinks about you. Think about that a little bit. Type that in on the chat. God thinks about you. He, he's concerned. He's concerned about, I mean, have you ever considered that God cares about even like the splinter in your finger? I mean, do you, do you think there are certain things that God just doesn't care about? Do you think he's concerned about that achy, achiness in your knees or, or that problem you have on your back or, or, or whatever it is? Do you think he's concerned about you running late to a meeting? Do you think God is concerned about the details of your life? As I've walked with God, I've discovered more and more um, the love of God, which I'm still learning about. I haven't arrived, but I'm still learning about the love of God. And the love of God really does transcend my understanding. I said a prayer that I've never said before in my entire life. And it's been, it was, God, give my right eye the ability to blink. You ever said that prayer? I bet, I'm guessing most of you have not said that prayer. That's like a prayer you've never said before. And I think sometimes we throw things out to, to God that maybe are so unique, like, 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 like God, help me to swallow this carrot, or whatever it is. I have no idea, but it's something that's so unique. And I think as you walk with God and you learn about who God is, you discover his intimacy. Like God cares about the bad days. He cares about the car problems. He cares about that new sound. He cares about you. First Peter 5, 7 says it like this, cast all your anxiety. Let's read this out loud, guys. Cast all your anxiety on him. Come on, because he cares for you. Wow. There's this incredible invitation that this God who thinks about you also cares about you. And we're encouraged to cast all of our anxiety, all of our worry, all of our concerns, to cast it on God because he cares about your spiritual well-being. He knows what's best for you. And he, it's this invitation that you should never worry about anything. You should never be anxious about anything. And when things don't go the way you think they should go, it's okay. It's okay. When something happens in your life that's just surprising, it's okay. When something blindsides you, (laughs) like exhibit A over here, when something blindsides you, it's okay. Because my God is with me and he's taking care of me and he has my future and I know he loves me and he cares for me. It brings this so much peace. You don't have to worry or stress. You don't have to fret. You don't have to let things get under your skin. How many of you let things get under your skin? It's just 
easy. You're, it's just t-ball with you. You know what I mean? So I'm saying, how many of you have ever done that? Um, you know, this idea that, that God cares about you is, is just a, a life-changing idea. Uh, let me say it like this. Those of you who are parents, have you ever considered your kids have no idea how much they love you? Have you ever considered your kids have no idea the sacrifice they have made, you have made for them? Have you ever considered that? Have you ever considered they have no idea um, what you had to give up for them? They had no idea you were eating less so they can eat more. They have no idea that you need a pair of shoes, but you're not telling them. Instead, you're buying them a pair of shoes, and they have no idea what you're giving up. You know what I'm talking about? Shout out, amen, any parent, you know what I'm talking about. Here's the main idea behind this. They don't know, they don't know that you're eating less. They don't know um, the sacrifice that you made. And here it is. You don't know the length of God's love for you. You don't know the length of God's love for you. You don't know how much it's taken for God, how much work it's taken for God to get you to this place right now, sitting in this room, watching online. You don't know how much work God has put into it. God has orchestrated things in your life to bring you to a point where you're humble and you're open to the word of God. He's put a lot of work into you. Turn to the person next and just tell them you're a lot of work. Can you do that? Because you're, it's just, you have no idea how much work God has been putting into you. You don't know the grace God has, has over you right now. God's grace is covering you right now. Some of you are not aware of it, and some of you, some of you are aware of it. You don't know how God has been trying to get you. You don't know how, how much is at stake even in this message right now. You don't even know what's going to happen tonight or tomorrow or whatever. You have no idea what the future holds. If you did know the love of God, would you talk to God more? Would you talk to him more? Would you trust him more? Would you worry less? Would you look at, would you look at this, this, uh, this word a little bit differently if you knew the love God has for you? Would you, would, you, would you look at church attendance just a little bit different? Would you look at stress a little bit different if you just knew the love of God? Would you still hold grudges in your heart if you knew the love of God? Would you worry? Would you harbor hate in your heart? Would you do any of those things? Would you treat others differently if you knew the love God has for you? I'm convinced people who are... Uh, are great lovers, they know God. They, they're great lovers of God. When you look at Hebrews in the second part, you see this mission come into play now. Verse 9 says, What we do see is Jesus, who for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels. Remember, he was above angels and still is, but he went a little lower than, uh, than the angels. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus Taste of death for everyone. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. This verse is like Superman has arrived. Anybody love Superman? I love Superman. It's like Superman has arrived. We needed a Superman. Um, this, this tells us the mission of Jesus is to save you from your sins. 
Scripture tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Scripture makes it clear you can't save yourself. Doesn't matter how many good things you do. Doesn't matter how, many, how much money you spend on good things. Doesn't matter any of those things. Doesn't matter how many times you go to church. Doesn't matter. There's this thing called sin that, that is just, just uh, we've inherited from our spiritual parents, Adam and Eve. And because of that sin, we're destined for death. We're destined for hell. Destined for hell. And what God did was he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into this world so that you have an out. Now you can turn to Jesus because he went to the cross for us. He became a sacrifice for our sins and he rose from the grave. And now because of the blood of Jesus and because of who Jesus is, we can experience salvation, forgiveness of our sins, and we can experience the very presence of God in our life today. That's the love of God. That's the mission of Jesus. But it's even more than salvation. Verse 11 says, so now Jesus and the ones he makes holy, the ones he makes what? Holy. Have the same father. Have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. You're my brother and you're my sister. We're all from the same Father. And, and Jesus says right here, this scripture makes it clear that Jesus is the one who makes you holy. So it's not just salvation, it's also sanctification, isn't it? I think sometimes we're more in love with salvation than sanctification. I think sometimes we're like, yep, get me, get me a get out of hell pass, I want that. But we're not so motivated about becoming more like Christ. We're not so motivated about Christ refining our character. We're not so motivated about that. It's like, I'll take heaven, but I'll, I don't want to lose anything else. And I kind of, I'm, I'm kind of feeling good about my bad temper. And I'm kind of feeling good about my stubbornness. And I'm kind of feeling good about this addiction thing I have. And I'm kind of feeling good about, so I don't want to give up any of this, but I'll take heaven. And we do that. But you need to understand, part of the job description of Jesus is to make you holy. I was talking to someone a while back, and, and I, I was, uh, I'll just tell you, it was another, it was another pastor, and uh, he, he uh, said something that um, was not um, appropriate, I'll put it that way. So I called him out on it. I, I, uh, I, if you know me, I'm comfortable talking to someone, speaking truth in love and in love with people. So I, I, I talked to him about this, and he agreed that he shouldn't have said what he said, and he agreed that, but he made this one comment. He said, excuse me for being human. That's what he said. Have you heard that before? I'm only human. How many of you have said that? Usually when that's said, that's, that's kind of code for, you know what, um, it's just the way I am, I'm flawed, I'm just like everyone else, I have weaknesses just like everyone else, so don't blame me, I'm only human. In fact, to err is human. So, you can use that card anytime you want. Why don't you just go ahead and lie and say, hey, I'm only human. Why don't you just say, I'm, I'm cheat, or I'm only human, uh, blow it, or whatever, I'm only human, what, handle something in a way that's not honoring to God, say, I'm only human, and you can think about that, you can use that over and over and over, I just, you know, I'm a hothead, I'm only human, you know, I, I said something I shouldn't have said, I'm only human, and we say that over and over as an excuse, hear this, don't use I'm only human as an excuse 
when you have a God who wants you to be holy. Don't do that. You don't understand the love of God. You don't understand the mission of Jesus. If that's where, if that's, if you're just looking for an excuse, you have the wrong perspective of God's love. What is, how does Jesus do all this? Verse 14 says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. Jesus became flesh and blood. Incredible. He became a mere mortal. He humbled himself. He became flesh and blood. Now, it doesn't mean that he was no longer God. He's still God. In fact, I wonder about situations like when he became a mere mortal. I wonder if he was ever, like, was he, when he was running late, was he ever tempted to, like, transport himself to another location? You know what I mean? It's like he could have done that. Or if he walked out and it was a crummy, ugly weather kind of day, I wonder if he was just tempted to change the weather on the spot and say, I don't think I want clouds today. I want sunshine. I think it's a little bit chilly today. I'm going to turn up the temperature. You know what I mean? I wonder if Jesus was ever tempted to do things. Or if when he was hungry, I wonder if he was just tempted to make like a T-bone steak up here or something and just say, oh, you know, he, he came and he's human, yet he's God. Verse 9 says, or Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Isn't that beautiful? All the fullness of God is in Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2 says it like this, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. This phrase, he gave up his divine privileges in the, what it literally means is he emptied himself. So in the Greek lang language, it's a popular word called kenosis. And kenosis is the self-emptying of Jesus' own will and becoming entirely receptive to God's divine will. That's what kenosis is. It's this idea of Jesus emptying himself so that he would be full of the will of the Father. That's what it is. And here's the lesson for us. If you want to know and live out God's will for your life, you need to have a kenosis experience. You need to have a kenosis experience. Some of you are struggling right now with knowing God's will or, 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 or living out God's will. And the only reason why you're struggling with it is because you're full of yourself and you haven't emptied yourself out yet. And you're trying to walk with God or know God or, or, or fulfill the purpose of God. But the truth is you're so full of yourself, there's no room for God. There's no room for God. And as long as you're full of yourself, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle with knowing God's will. You're going to struggle with, with living out God's will. You're going to struggle with all kinds of things because you have not had a kenosis experience. You need to empty yourself out. There's this incredible surrender that comes with this kenosis experience. When you, pour, when you empty yourself out, all of a sudden, it's just not about you. It's just not about you anymore. Well, what's the opposite of this kenosis experience? Pride. Pride is clinging to. Pride is holding on to something, usually yourself. Pride is elevating yourself, and that's the opposite of this kenosis experience. Have you ever, have you ever been um, in a car with someone who is lost, 
and refuses to get directions? Have you ever, maybe that's been you. Have you ever been in something like that? You're in the car and you know they're lost and you're waiting for them to figure it out and they will not ask, they will not ask for directions. Have you ever been, maybe you've worked for someone like that. Have you ever worked for a boss who's leading the wrong direction and you're just following along because you know they're the boss and you're thinking, we're doing this the wrong way. <laughs> we're doing this job the wrong way. And it's the same thing. When you're, when you're in a car of someone, I'm going to pick on men because they're typically the guy. If, if that man is, is behind that wheel and he will not ask for directions because because of pride, it affects everyone else. They're behind the wheel, but they will not ask for help. The other thing about that, when, you, when you're with someone who is holding on to that wheel and they have pride, do you know the trip takes longer? It takes longer to get where you're going. You know why? Because of pride. And, and you, it just takes longer because you're waiting and waiting. Pride will prolong the trip. And pride will keep you from asking someone for a clear direction. Pride will convince you that you don't need help. When pride is behind the wheel, purpose has to suffer. Oh, that's so big, guys. You got to hear that. When pride is behind the wheel, purpose has to suffer. It's taking longer to get there now. It's taking longer to get there because pride is behind the wheel. And here's the catch. Everyone in the car is being held hostage by pride. Everyone in the car is being held hostage. So I picked on a man earlier. If that man is full of pride in his home, guess what? Everyone in your home is being held hostage by your pride. Everyone. Absolutely. Ladies, maybe that's you. If you're full of pride, everyone in your home is being held hostage by your pride. They're all waiting. Everyone, the entire car suffers or the entire home suffers. The entire team suffers. The entire family suffers. Work suffers. Everyone, everyone, everyone else suffers. Let me ask you a question like this about pride. Have you ever met an ugly person that doesn't know they're ugly? Isn't that a great question to ask in church? Have you ever met someone who doesn't know? Like you look at them and you're thinking, yeah, they're kind of ugly, but they don't know it. This is going to be one of those questions I think that's going to haunt me later on. <laughs> but <laughs> have you ever met someone who goes, you know, maybe they're interviewing for a job and they just go and they have the confidence to tell that person that's interviewing them, I just want you to know I can grow this company. I just want you to know I have 10 ideas that you haven't thought of. I just want you to know I can do this and I can do that and I can do this. And, and they're just, they just self-inflate themselves so much, so much. That's just called pride. When pride is behind the wheel, here's what's your, what you're waiting on. You're waiting for pride to dissipate low enough so that the cycle can be broken. What happens when it's that person behind the wheel that's driving the car and they refuse to ask for help? You know what everyone's in the car is waiting for? That's what they're wondering. How long will it take before they, they, they humble themselves and ask for directions? And they're like, we got to be lost for how long in this car? We're waiting on him to come to his senses. You know what I'm saying? And, and this trip shouldn't take this long. I can't talk to him because he knows everything. 
I can't say anything to her because she knows everything. So everyone is being held hostage, and we're waiting for that knucklehead to humble himself and ask for direction. So all you're doing when, someone, when you're in a situation like this is you're waiting. See, pride is not a strength. It's a weakness. Fear and insecurity camouflaged with overconfidence. You have to empty yourself of self-entitlement, empty yourself of privilege, empty yourself of superiority. Empty yourself. You don't have to be first. I was at Dutch Brothers the other day, and I was in line. And have you ever been in line at, whether it's Chick-fil-A or Dutch Brothers or whatever other place you go to, and there's like two lines, you know what I'm talking about? And, and, and you're in one line, and you always look for the shorter line, right? And you find that shorter line, and then just after you're in that line, what happens? That other line starts to move. And you're like, what's going on? What's, this doesn't seem fair. And then that person who comes and takes your order, they go to those other two cars that were now ahead of you, and then they come to you. And does anybody struggle with this? Like you just get bubbled up and you're like, you know what? I was there before those cars. Then they say, you got you to gotta go behind this car over here. And you're like, oh, I don't, this is not right. This, give me the manager. This is not right. When you empty yourself, you don't have to be first. Empty yourself of recognition. You don't have to be recognized. Empty yourself of prestige. Empty yourself of self-importance. Empty yourself of status. You can only do this with Jesus. Verse 14 says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as, human, as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. See, Jesus had to become human to break the power of the devil. He had to become human so that he could die. The fact that Jesus became human is evidence that God will meet you at your lowest place. Glory to God. God will meet you in the middle of your depression and shame and mess and doubt and sickness and addiction and fear, whatever it is. And let me just say this also. I believe one of the most Christ-like things, if you consider yourself a Christian, one of the most Christ-like things you can do is meet someone where they're at. I think sometimes our expectations are just too great for others. Because if someone's at a, at, a, at, a, at a place, maybe they don't even know God. Or maybe they're an early you know, new Christian or whatever it is. And they're just earlier in their faith or, or spiritually immature, whatever it is, the, the ability to meet them where they're at and say, I'm just going to love you where you're at. It's very Christ-like. Because he left heaven and he became human. He became human. Here's what I've learned about being in a dark place. The longer you walk with God, the more God expects you to trust him even if circumstances don't change. I think earlier on, I, 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 you know, God has always moved in my life, and I'm grateful for that, but sometimes God says, my grace is sufficient, and your circumstances aren't going to change, but you know I'm with you, and that's enough. And real spiritual growth is when you choose to continue to walk in faithfulness and obedience, even though your circumstances haven't changed. And you're going to trust him 
even though I was talking to someone recently, and it's beautiful when I, you know, God's in the business of changing lives, you know, here at Thornton Creek and at other places. And this man, when I talked to him uh, before I got sick, so this would have been like three months ago or something, and he was at a, a challenging place, a difficult place in his home. I don't want to go into details, but he was just at a very, very difficult place. It was showing on his face. It was, I saw his soul. Spiritually speaking, I saw the wear and tear. I saw the hurt. I saw the pain. I saw the tears. All of that. He was just heavy with this problem he was going through in his home. And I, I ran across him a couple of weeks ago. It was after I preached. And I said, man, it's so good that you're here at church. And he looked so different. His countenance looked different. And he said, oh, pastor, I'm not at that same place that I was before. And he said it with a smile on his face. You know what happened? His circumstances didn't change. But something changed inside of him. He's trusting God. You know what I'm talking about? Have you been there before? It's like, I know who has my future. I know God is with me. I know he's thinking about me. Verse 17, that says, therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. See, Jesus can help you because he knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to be in your shoes. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer loss, to be tempted, to feel alone, to feel betrayed, slandered, hurt, mocked, ostracized, abandoned, whatever. He knows what it's like. Here's the message of Hebrews chapter 2. God went through great expense to initiate a plan of redemption that included his son becoming flesh and blood. Jesus actually emptied himself and stooped down to a level that humanity could touch and smell. It's there that he empathized with us and was crucified for us. For us to ignore this divine act of love or treat it with indifference would be a human's most arrogant moment. Mm. What are you going through right now? What are you going through right now? What's going on in your life? How's it going? Where's your soul at right now? Where are your thoughts at? What season of life are you in right now? What are the things that have you weighed down? What are the things that's holding on to you that you, have, or maybe that you're clinging to and you won't let go of it? Some of you may have pride right now in your own heart. And that pride is not only affecting you, it's affecting everyone in the house, everyone in the car, everyone that's with you. And you need to have that kenosis experience. It's incredibly freeing. When you just empty yourself out, God will take care of you and he'll fill you up with him. Some of you, the reason why you have a marriage problem is because you have a pride problem. Reason why you have a problem on the team or at work is because you have a pride problem. You know, I've said it before, when you're full of pride, you don't have a teachable spirit. You know everything already. And everyone is in the car and they're looking at their watch and they're waiting for the pride to dissipate. Because that's when things will get better. And as long as you're behind that wheel, 
And as long as you're allowing pride to take over you, everyone in the car is suffering. Everyone is waiting for you. I think one of the biggest mistakes we make is we say pride is confidence and humility, or pride is strength and humility is weakness. It's just the opposite. Some of the greatest men and women are those who are humble, that have emptied themselves out. And for some of you, that's the only thing you need to, that needs to happen in your own heart. I want to give you an opportunity. Jesus became human for you. All the details of your life matter to Jesus. That's why you're here at church. That's why you're watching online, because he wants you to surrender, to cast all those worries on him, everything on him. He wants to show you how big of a God he is. He wants to show you that he'll carry you through it. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to learn to walk by faith. He wants you to learn to walk in obedience to him. And you can do that. We can do it together. Let's bow our heads and let me say a prayer for you. Let's just start off here at the top. If you're struggling with pride, would you say this? God, forgive me. I need, dire I need directions. I need directions. I've held hostage my, my entire home and I've held hostage those in the car with me and I need to ask for forgiveness. I want to humble myself right now and I want to empty myself out. I want to empty myself out. Fill me up, Lord. Change my heart. Transform me. Others of you might need to say this, God, I, I have some things going on in my life and I just, need to, I just need to give them to you. I've made a mess of my life, and I need to give it to you. I've got things that have happened, Lord, that some of them have happened because of me, but other stuff has happened, and I don't know why. I need to give it to you. So would you have your way? If you haven't asked Jesus into your heart, you need to do that. And you can say this, say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. I choose to become a Christian right now. I'm going to walk with you forever. It's in your name we pray. Amen.